Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas, who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. My guest for this episode is Dr. Stephanie Ryan, who makes learning fun. Her website is letslearnaboutscience.com. You'll get to meet her right after this. I have always been concerned about the quality of food I eat and prepare for my family. That's why I love to tell people about the delicious rice varieties from an Arkansas family who's been farming for, get this, 10 generations. It's the Ralston family in the beautiful Arkansas River Valley who has an outstanding rice product and reputation. And these are people who are committed to their principles of farming that include regenerative farming, which is the method where the farmers take a keen interest in the soil and water use and fertilizer. The water is actually from the nearby Arkansas River. And then there's another important consideration for the Ralston family, and that is sustainable farming. The family only mills what they grow, and they have full traceability from seed to carton. They have delicious rice in six core varieties, including white basmati, aromatic purple, and red. In fact, Nature's Blend is grown as a blend in the field. Go to their website to see where you can get this outstanding line of a most delicious Arkansas product at RalstonFamilyFarms.com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, someone's going to make learning fun, which is great because it's summertime, the kids are out. Of course, many of you had pandemic schedules where you were having to be the mom, the teacher, the PhD, but now we have a real PhD with us, someone with a doctorate who can tell us more about how to make learning fun. And let's start with what could parents be doing right now? We're recording this in June, so this is right when summer's starting. What are some of the first things? Now, I can tell you where we all started with the uh, baking soda and the vinegar, right? We all start with the volcano. Those of us who aren't scientists think, okay, you're ready for college. (laughs) Clearly my kids weren't, but tell me some things we could be doing right now with our kids to keep them occupied. Well, I think first baking soda and vinegar is a favorite of ours. Uh, We use it a lot in my house. Um, Add balloons and you can blow up your own balloon with the products of that reaction. And so you put a balloon on the top of a bottle. And you do the reaction and it releases carbon dioxide. So then the balloon blows up and it will blow your child's mind. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. My son did it. Who And he is an engineer. So he did always have a love for science. He did Mentos in the Coke. Uh-huh. And so that blew it up in a parking lot one time at a radio station where I work. So everybody knew about that one because that's a mess. So that is let's that's try a to, fun mess. Yeah, let, yeah, and it, that's it. Some people think it's a fun mess. So, what are some other things that are the fun messes? Oh, there are so many. Um, one that we've been working on lately is making your own rocket out of baking soda and vinegar. And okay. what you do is you take a two liter bottle and you've got pencils or wooden skewers, you know, like you use for cooking. Um, and you flip the bottle so that the mouth is down. And you tape three so that it kind of stands up and it'll look like a rocket. And you take this outside, not in grass, because I have now have a dead 
spot of grass in my backyard <gasps> that I've had to explain to my husband. <laughs> but there's um, you fill it with vinegar a couple inches and then you take baking soda and you wet it and you make it into this like chalky powder that you'll drop in really quick add a cork flip it over and then it shoots up (laughs) oh cool how does it not react though if you're putting the two materials together to make it into the paste so the paste i wrapped it i missed a step thank you you wrap it in a paper towel so that it has a second to like let go of it and the reaction does start pretty immediately it's just it hasn't made enough gas to pop that cork out yet (laughs) So is vinegar kind of just a basic product for a lot of things that blow up? Uh, it's, um, it, you can use it as a reactant for in-home things that you play, yeah. <laughs> so let's go back to, I mean, are, do you look at it then as its chemical equation, like three atoms of carbon plus blah, 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 blah. Or do you, I, I guess that's how you have to look at it to think of the chemical reaction Whereas the mom and dad at home are like, what's going to blow up? That's all I need. What's going to blow up? Yeah. So I don't look at it that way. Um, And I encourage parents not to. Um, Good. Actually, some of the fun of it is you're going to add one teaspoon of it. Let me add two to mine and we'll see whose goes higher. Or like whose balloon inflates more and thinking of that. Um, I, I like to think of it as you're, they're learning without being taught. <laughs> like you're just doing it and it comes out that you'll one day be like, oh, wait, this was a solid and a liquid. And now there's a gas. Why did this take off like that? Um, and so the older your kids get, yeah, you could get into chemical equations and stuff. But my four year old doesn't need to know that. <laughs> what did you what piqued your interest as a child then with science or science projects? My dad was an engineer and he sent us off to Uh, local college camps that had day camps where the college students did demo days and things like that. And I was the kid who memorized everything and got the A because of it, but I didn't understand a lot of it. And it wasn't until I became an adult when I needed to explain things that I was like, huh, that equation, I know it, but I, I don't actually understand what's happening. So that's something that I really try hard to do is make sure that we talk about like, why something is happening, how it's happening, instead of just what is happening. Do you, but don't you see, my engineer son will always say, but there's a difference between physics and chemistry. And people think because they're engineers, oh, you get all the science stuff. And he'd say, well, really, they're kind of different, I guess, perspectives to science. So do you look at things then as more of a physics brain or more of a chemistry brain? Because if you're um, if you're looking at look the more, equation, I'm probably looking at it more in the chemistry and biology side of it. Um, if we were to classify all of the activities I do with my son, very few are physics. So I can okay. see I'm probably not leaning that way. <laughs> but your dad did. Was your was your dad a chemical engineer? Or a mechanical um, he was or an industrial engineer. Industrial engineer. So that's the person who also has a business aptitude, right? Don't industrial yes. engineers, mm-hmm. they work in the field. Yeah. I I think all engineering disciplines are so fascinating. And I think those people were blessed with a different brain than those <laughs> of us who are really good spellers. Because <laughs> that is my contribution to society. <laughs> I think that 
one of the things that we can do as parents, though, is help our kids become a little better engineers because some I don't know who said this. This is a quote from somewhere along the line of that. We are training kids for a job that doesn't exist yet. And that's crazy. And it's true. And to solve a problem, you need to be able to come up with solutions and prototypes and things like that. Whether or not you're ever going to send a rocket to Mars or not, that's still something you'll need to think about even in your own house. Something breaks, you might be able to fix it yourself. Like, I think it's a good skill to work on with kids anyway. Do you think then as young children, even if you do have a child who might be more artistically Uh, loves the arts or like in my case, loves words. Do you think every child has an aptitude for science learning? I think so. Yeah. Um, And I don't think any of those are mutually exclusive either. Um, I think trying to think one of the latest uh, STEM things we did was we glued crayons to a canvas and used a hairdryer and melted them. And that is a physical change. And the different crayon brands had different melting points. Some of the colors had different melting points. And it was really fun, cool, and it was a gift for grandparents. That is amazing. So this is where people like me, journalists, and again, like words, I don't think about that physics is a part of my everyday life. But when you say stuff like that, I forget it's the physical changes that happen with everyday activities. Like, absolutely. And every time you cook, that's chemistry. Uh, That's actually a lot of math. And that's one of the activities. So a lot of parents are afraid to say, wow, that's not my background. Um, That makes me a little nervous to add something in. I don't feel like I can teach it. And it's like, then don't add anything in. Are you going to make your kid a snack today? Make a parfait and they have to choose what pattern they use. That's math. Math is patterns. Um, And so you can do these things just as part of your normal day. Um, And you don't have to go to the store and get very much to do them. Now, yes, there are some, just like Pinterest. There are some activities that you could spend like a whole day learning and doing. And if if that's what you want to do, that's great. But it's more about the doing it together. You're learning, you're talking, and it's fun. And you're not sitting there just drilling science into them. They're playing, and then a science concept pops out. (laughs) Okay, what are some cooking things then that families can do with their kids at home that they don't have to use a knife or the burner. Mom mom can do the knife and burner. The kids can do everything else. Well, so I have, I like to work with s'mores, probably because they're my favorite summer yeah. treat. Um, so you can do it with or without a burner. So with a burner, you can talk about chemical changes and physical changes because you have the chocolate that melts. That is a physical change. Your marshmallow turns brown on the outside. That is a chemical change. You cannot get that white back. And when you break your graham cracker in half, that's a physical change. Just even talking about those things like, okay, so the chocolate melted. I put it back in the freezer. What do you think would happen to that? Would it still be chocolate? What if I burnt the chocolate? What if it went, I cooked it too long? Um, So that's with a burner, but you can also make your own solar oven using a pizza box. So you cut a hole in the top of the pizza box and 
I guess it's more of a, you cut a flap in it. Okay. You wrap the flap in aluminum foil and you take some sort of plastic. It's not really great to use plastic wrap for the environment, obviously, um, but if that's all you've got, you can use that. Right. I like to use laminator sheets that I haven't used yet because I'm going to use them later. Um, but what you do is you then put your, you assemble your s'more underneath if, you close it and then you reflect that um, aluminum foil flap toward the sun and it then makes a little greenhouse inside the pizza box and it will melt the marshmallow. So, so you learn about the greenhouse effect. Right. You learn about chemical and physical changes and then you kind of with weather. So the day I tried this with my son was during Earth Day and uh the warmest day we had in Indiana that week was like 62 and it was really windy and I was like hey let's give it a go and it melted the chocolate but not the marshmallow um and so it was just a good experience to say like look how could this be different on a different day and you could try it multiple times because the heat is one variable but then the sun's rays to me would be another variable so on that day you had the sun's rays but you didn't have enough air temperature right yeah, the um, the wind was cooling the surface off before it had time to heat up. Yeah. And so we're going to do that again. And I mean, who doesn't like s'mores? But that could even be a contest between your kids. If you have two kids, whose design is better? Um, what if you coat the pizza box with black paper? Because that will absorb the heat that might go faster, you know? And so issuing challenges to your kids is one really great way to make sure that they're they're on their on their toes. <laughs> well, they love to compete. Everyone wants your kids want to win. I right. I would do that and say who could make the bed the quickest, the best, or could clean the refrigerator the best. I mean, they're like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna win this one. I'm like, <laughs> knock yourself out. You know, have a good time. You're like, I'm the real winner here. <laughs> right. But hey, exactly. <laughs> I win. Um, I know another one my son did was the magnifying glass with the sun and they would try to get the leaves to catch on fire. Mm. Now again, yeah. in periods of drought, I do not recommend it, <laughs> but, um, and then they were going to, I wonder if you could cook something with that. So explain the science process with that. Those are those chemical changes. Those are physical changes then, right? For the, the magnifying glass. Well, the magnifying glass gets the light, the sunlight, and then they reflected it on the leaves. And finally, a flame would show up. How, so how the, did they do the, that? The burning part is a chemical change. Okay, chemical um, change. Yeah, it it combusted. I, I'd have yeah. to yeah. look at the experiment it again. It's been a while. <laughs> but the actual burning is um, a chemical change. Okay, so let's say we have, you know, we haven't had a, a really hot summer. Arkansas is horrible summers, but the last few years have been pretty mild. So I don't think we even hit 100 days for the last two years, which is very uncharacteristic for the state. But before that, when we would get 105, 110, you know, one year it got to 115, it was crazy. People are trying to fry the egg outside, but that really won't work, will it? Um, I guess it depends on how hot the asphalt got. I've, I, I don't think on a sidewalk, no. Uh, but asphalt, since it's black, it absorbs heat and it stays warmer um, in the sun. So I think you could probably get some of the egg white. <laughs> yeah, fry. maybe. Um, but you can definitely 
That's a good question. I've never lived anywhere hot enough that I've never yeah. tried that. <laughs> and also with the car's engine, weren't there, isn't, wasn't there a time that people would do experiments with the car's engine and heat and make like, maybe, and, and that may have, again, that may be unique to really hot summers in the South that where we have be, a lot yeah. of humidity too. And maybe they were doing it just to see how hot they could keep how warm they could keep the food not to but i wouldn't want my food near the car's engine yeah i think with locale we have one that you probably don't have of where it's so cold outside that you can throw boiling water into the air and it freezes well we had um the whole state uh, the whole country this year was gripped in february with this crazy freeze and we had below zero temperatures, which again was uncharacteristic. Even down to Houston, they had freezing temperatures. And I did see that. So how does that work? The air temperature has to be what? And then the the temperature of the water has to be what in order for that to work, that physical change to happen? Well, the freezing point of water is 32. Right. Um, and that is when the molecules start to slow down to become solid, but that doesn't mean they all do. So once they all start to, then it all becomes solid. And so when you throw it into like negative 15 degree air, that cools it very quickly and it moves quickly um, into a different state. So that's a physical change. So do you start with boiling water on that? Um, I haven't done it since I was in college and we use boiling water. And I don't remember if it was cold enough when it worked. <laughs> but it just because it would seem like it has to go to a further set point down to 32 from 212. Why wouldn't you just start with cold water? Well, because that's not as exciting oh, to okay. show that, <laughs> okay. that you went from one to the other okay, so quickly. Um, but yeah, you, oh yeah, you could definitely throw it out, just like how you leave a water bottle in your car and it freezes. Or have you seen the ones where you leave the water bottle in the freezer until just before it freezes, and then you knock it on a surface, and then it turns into ice in the whole bottle? It just needed one spot to like touch another to have it happen and then they all turn solid. Okay, that's another science experiment kid, people could do, parents could do with their kids. But what is, what's the time, I mean, how much time does it take before it's frozen? Like how, how long does it take um, a bottle to freeze? I feel like it's three or four hours. Okay. I feel like it's something you just go back and keep checking. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I haven't actually sat and watched it. Yeah, well, it would, it'd be a pretty boring job if that was your job to watch uh, water freeze. It's like watching water boil. Also, um, your kids learn early, too, when they put their soda in the freezer, that though they can put their water in the freezer, they, the soda will explode. And is that just the carbon dioxide? Yes. That The bubbles. So... Mm -hmm. That's why you can put a bottle of vodka. Now, how come a bottle of vodka then doesn't freeze? <laughs> That's its freezing point is different than water. <laughs> oh, because it's, even though it looks like water, you know, it's yes. a liquid. So not all liquids <laughs> yeah. then are treated the same. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> And that's actually how, like, when you add salt to roads um, to melt ice, it's because salt water has a different freezing point than just water water. Oh, I've always wondered what the salt was. And also, when we make ice cream, 
One of the components is salt. So salt then is an agent of change then for probably many different things from whether you're melting ice. Uh, probably. Um, I think anything can be part of a chemical reaction. It's just which one you're looking at. Um, but it like salts, you add it to water and it dissolves. So it changes the water into ions in the water. So the water's not pure anymore. Um, it's an aqueous solution of that salt. And then it has a different freezing point than just water by itself. Okay, then what kind of cook are you? Do you overthink things because you're looking at the chemical reaction all the time? (laughs) Or are you someone that can go in there and wing it knowing it's all going to work out? You would think that as a chemist, an analytical chemist (laughs) at that, that I would be so precise in the kitchen and I am not. And so like, I just throw things together and if it doesn't work, I get really frustrated and I'm like, well, why didn't this work? It's like, well, did you look at what kind of meat needs to be added? Or like, how long did you do this? And it's like, well, I just thought it would work. (laughs) You know, I always say that the person you invite to your potluck is you have uh, my neighbor's a pharmacist. And one time when they were coming over, I said, have them bring dessert because a pharmacist's job is to measure everything, <laughs> make sure everything's in a little cylinder or some type of bowl. And then she assembles it. And it's a beautiful thing. Whereas you get someone like me who's loosey goosey. I'm great at entrees because I don't know what I did the first time and I could replicate it the second time, but I throw it all together. How early do you start putting your kids in the kitchen then to start looking at the chemical reactions and changes? So during the pandemic, my son and I, we did a few cooking things together, but it was still mostly me doing it. Um, I'm definitely one of the people who likes to have all the safety things in the house. And that one always makes me a little more nervous than it does my husband. So usually Charlie just gets to pour in the macaroni and that's about it. Start. <laughs> um, what are some things you do at home that maybe for the younger kids really, and we talked earlier about just the s'mores, but yeah, see, think about things like safety, Dr. Ryan, things like boiling water, you know, you if you pour the macaroni in too quickly, it could pop up and get you. But mm-hmm. there's an amazing physical change that happens about six minutes when that when the pasta is in the in the water the, and the temperatures come down. That's another thing I guess kids could learn that mm-hmm. when you do add something, because as a cook, that's one thing I know that when I do it, let's say I've seared the meat and I want to make a cream sauce or something, the minute I put the liquid in, you know, you hear that it's also bringing the temperature down. See? Mm-hmm. Because the thing you added was a different temperature. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so then did you know that when you're making gravy, do you make gravy in Indiana? Um, on Thanksgiving. Okay. No, we make it year round and we make white gravy, brown gravy. We love all gravies here. Well, one of the tricks with real good that uh, some Southern grandmother would tell you is that you need to warm the milk. So we do like a cream gravy, let's say. Okay. You warm the milk before you put it in the roux, which is equal parts of fat and flour. So let's say you use butter, you know, half cup of butter and half cup of flour and you're whisking it. But I then put my milk in the microwave to warm it up because then it's not as lumpy. And so people who don't know, because the temperature changes, that the cold milk 
makes it lumpy. So there's something that if you want to impress people that you know something about Southern cooking, I just I just summed up Southern cooking in about two minutes. I'm sorry you people yeah. don't have white gravy. It is so... I don't like the gravy that we have at Thanksgiving, so there must be some better out there. So do you people up north know how to fry chicken? Um... I tried it for the first time during the pandemic. How'd it go? <laughs> it went okay. I think we only ended up with one burnt piece. Uh, I made my own fried chicken fingers. It turned out pretty well. Well, look at that. So that's another thing that we know. I know as a cook, but I don't know why I do it. But let's say I am frying chicken and I'm using peanut oil because it can withstand a high heat. Because, you know, not all oils they can go rancid at higher heats. So you want your burner on the highest you can get it. You put the oil in, I'm showing my fingers here. And then, um, but then I take water from the spigot over here and I, cause you don't want to put the chicken in until the oil is even at a certain temperature. Did you know, uh-huh. did you know that was a trick? Uh, I didn't know, but it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you tell me scientifically why it makes sense. I know culinarily it makes sense because it makes it delicious and it gives it a better <laughs> deep crust when that oil's real hot. And then the oil, the minute you put the chicken in, the oil temperature comes down. So why do you, th- yeah. how do you think that happens? I couldn't tell you. Food chemistry is very complex, but what's really cool is that books are starting to teach chemistry through the concept of food chemistry. So like I helped work on a book and that's a chapter is um, talking about how they ferment and make beers and wines and then how they cook. And it's a pretty cool chapter. Okay. The fermentation process, because I'm also all about gut health. I'm in health coaching school, so I think I know everything and I don't, but I've got a, a lady here who makes kombucha for me and I ferment my own vegetables sometimes and the fermentation process has been around since the beginning of time Adam and Eve yeah you know they had a little loincloth and they were probably fermenting something but it's one of the oldest scientific (laughs) experiments known to man and it's one of the healthiest things did you know that those fermented vegetables the way your great your grandmother and great-grandmother cooked they had better gut health than we have now because that good bacteria. Yeah, I have to say there's something about kombucha that I still haven't really jumped on yet. The, the, what is it, SCOBY? The SCOBY, the, you have to have the, the SCOBY. That, that freaks me out a yes. little bit, I'm not gonna lie. As I've said on this <laughs> podcast, it does look like placenta. <laughs> and it is nasty, but you have to find, so I always say about my friend Julie, I have a dealer. So if you need somebody, I'll give you her pager number and you can meet on a dark alley and she'll uh, give it to you. No, there's something about getting the good kombucha, but she, in fact, the girl who makes it for me is an engineer. She has a degree in agricultural engineering, so she understands the physics side, but she has, you have to have a chemist interest to really be good at things like fermentation, making sourdough, Mm-hmm. Um, any cultured products because it starts with the mother bacteria or a mother the mother is what we call her just the mother and so <laughs> when you do that then it you know the sourdough bread you get in San Francisco it could be 200 years the mother bacteria could be 200 years old which is then what happens is your science project turns into a history lesson 
Then you can say, when you're in San Francisco, did you know, kids, this is 200 years old. Let's talk about what happened 200 years ago. Now, do you try to come? Yeah, and you can talk about math with it, too, because bacteria grow exponentially. So you can even talk about that. Like, why would you have your sourdough bread? You have to pass out starters or use it a lot because it it just keeps reproducing and it makes more and more and more. Okay, have you ever done that? (laughs) Have you ever tried to make your own sourdough? We did, yes. And it was too hard to keep up Uh, with. You have to quit your job. You have to take off from your job. Yeah, it was to too much. To come home twice a day to feed it. I, I have pets that didn't need that much attention. Yeah, it was too much. So I tried it for a bit in the pandemic, and I was like, nope, I, I don't. Even home all the time, no, I don't have that's time how I for felt. this. <laughs> and you, you feel so bad tossing it, but you add... It seems like, didn't you I add, like, flour to it and something else, and I stirred it and stirred it, and I... It, and a little, and bit, a little of bit of sugar. sugar. That's right. Um, and so there are a lot of people, and this is uh, one of my big pet peeves, is when people don't understand, um, like, they'll just say, I'm going to cut out sugar entirely because sugar is bad. And it's like, well, you cut out sugar from the fermentation process. Nothing's going to, that's what they eat. Like, if you're trying to feed it and you're not going to put any sugar in, then it's not going to, it's not going to do so anything. So I have to think about that. <laughs> Tell me then about the fermentation process and how bacteria is fed by sugar, right? Am I saying that right? Um, I'm going to have to Google this you, while we're talking because it's been a Google minute. Away because that's always confused me about this process. And also, when I told my son I was giving my four-year-old granddaughter some of this fermented or some of the kombucha, he goes, Mom, be careful. She might get turned, which is what the kids say when they drink alcohol. I go, what? He goes, well, you finally have it long enough. It could turn into beer. I was like, well, I hope not. She's four years old. So is it-, <laughs> it can turn into it if it's fermented too long. And that's why I think some of the alcoholic kombuchas came out was like on accident, probably. Are there alcoholic kombuchas now? I think oh. I've seen them. Let me, so you're asking me these questions. I'm not really sure. Oh, you're today. fine. <laughs> this is my, my audience knows that I just I'll ask anything, and it's the same question that anyone might be thinking. And you're the person. Yes, who's there out. are hard kombuchas. Oh wow! I don't know. I mean, so is that healthy and not healthy at the same time? That's that's a tricky right. one. Well, <laughs> but medicinally, alcohol's been used for thousands of years, so. Yeah. There may be something to that, that it's it has some value to it. So then there's sugar in those, al- those alcoholic kombuchas. Yeah, there would have to be. Yeah. So let me go back over this. So the SCOBY is the mother bacteria. Is that what I'm, we're calling it? Is it a mother it's the mother. It's, all, it's like when you get the the Bragg's apple cider vinegar, it will say made with the mother or made with mother, you know, <laughs> like, so there's something somewhere that starts the whole process, starts the ball rolling. And then it turns into something that's either sourdough bread. It's either a fermented, it's either kombucha and it's all done with just a few things in vinegar involved in all of them. Um, like I said, I've never made it. Um, this one recipe I'm seeing is water, sugar, and tea. Oh. 
and then a cup of kombucha, and it makes a scoby. Okay. And then you use water, a scoby, kombucha, bags, and sugar. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't ever made it, okay. so I feel like I'm starting okay. to go down a path I need to research. No. no, you're fine, fine, fine. It's just It just shows that there are just a few basic things that have been around for thousands and thousands of years, and really... It's it goes back to it's medicinal. What what's happened with the food industry is adding all the crap in food manufacturing. When if we just go back to the basics, because everyone villainizes sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, but look how valuable sugar is into that, to process. that process. Yeah. Yes, that makes our gut healthier. And if all disease begins in the gut, people hadn't had enough kombucha in their lives. <laughs> You hadn't had the right one. If you find the right one, then you'll just kind of drink it every day. I think as long as I don't think about that SCOBY, I'll probably be okay. It's the looking at a picture of that. I'm like, so oh, you like, saw it. it's on my screen right now. And I'm like, Oof. got it. So those of you listening right now, do not Google SCOBY. Yes, do not. <laughs> do not Google, Google SCOBY. Well, I love that you know it's letslearnaboutscience.com is your website. Uh-huh. I've got that in the show notes. And I love that you're making science fun. And for those of us who are challenged with that, you just made it all sound so easy. And you know what? Food was invo- involved in about most of those that you talked about. Yeah, and ingredients that people have at home. Um, And the thing I'd like to end with is that even if what I just talked about didn't sound like you understood, there are people who have Instagram accounts, websites, YouTube channels totally dedicated to this kind of stuff that you can watch along and learn what you need to do. You don't even have to learn the equations behind it. It's just this is what's happening when I do this. Um, And so never be afraid to ask for help if you're not sure what to do. It's the physical changes that you pointed out that now makes me feel like that I I now know physics. It was just on stuff like that. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com. Creative.com.